Welcome to Granite State Matters, the busy person's way to catch up with what's happening in Concord. Because the extremists are taking over the state house, And what you don't know can hurt you. I'm Steve Marchand. And I'm Terry Harkins. Today, we're going to be talking about local control. But uh, Terry, we've kind of talked about it in different ways. We're going to connect it all today. But we've talked about it in a few episodes prior, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we have. The issue is, can New Hampshire towns and schools survive the state takeover? It sounds kind of dramatic to put it that way, but that's actually what's <laughs> going on. All right. I'm like, I, I suddenly got, I shuddered at that, but it's true. Yeah, right. I mean, back in episode nine, um, when we were talking about how our democracy is fraying in different ways, that we're seeing efforts to reduce participation in our democracy at the state and local level, trying to make it harder and less engaging to get involved locally. That's right. And then in episode 10, we talked about how the 1% has taken control at the state level. And their incentives are not to increase local voter participation. No, it's not. Which is kind of funny because a lot of the folks who are trying to do that on paper will preach about the value of local control, small government, local values. So today we're going to be discussing some of the bills and techniques that the political action committees, the PACs, of the top one-tenth of one percent, what they're pushing to keep towns from overturning bills that they've paid to pass at the state level. So towns and school districts are being attacked, local control is being attacked, and we're really fortunate today to have a great guest who understands this better than most at the state level and the local level. We've got New Hampshire State Senator Suzanne Prentice here. Suzanne, thanks so much for taking time today to be with us. Thanks so much uh, for having me, Steve. It's it's great to be back and to hear your voice. Well, your voice has been heard at the local level and the state level. You've been a town councilor. You've been the mayor, and and we love mayors here. We're back at you. And, uh, and you're currently a state senator, right? There you go. Uh, and so you're seeing this firsthand. Uh, so I guess let me start with this. Could you talk about a few of the bills that are coming forward this session that really are getting at attacking local control? Um, we hear about HB 1679 that would seek to dissolve school districts. Uh, we hear about SB 400, Senate Bill 400, that would require planning boards to pay attorney's fees if a developer challenges the decision and they win. This is some heavy stuff. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on in front of your desk these days? Great question, Steve. And, and you um, have also served on the local level and been a mayor. So you, um, you know, you understand how decisions that are made in Concord um, and either enable you to really do the job locally uh, where local officials, I believe, know their communities the best or decisions that get made in Concord um, step in the way of local and town officials being able to do their, you know, to do their job. So uh, this if I is it okay if I step back to last just a little bit to last session to kind of sort of like set up the conversation? You know, I was a freshman senator and I um, was assigned to Senate Education, and one of the first bills we heard was uh, about taking if you as a municipality and as a school district had an empty school building, a building that used to be a school, or ten percent of it. Um, or more, um, at least 10% or more of a current school building was unoccupied, then you um, needed to put that building or that portion of a building on a list on the Department of Education's website. And the first right of refusal 
went to um, charter schools uh, for that property. And so that was my first taste at the, you know, at, in state government saying, you know, in the Senate of saying, what, what exactly are we doing here? Like local communities know how to repurpose their buildings best and especially school buildings. And I reflected on what we did in the city of Lebanon when we had, uh, when we were merging and building one middle school, we had one, two, it was th- we had three buildings that were going to become vacant because of that. And we, at the local level, uh, got members of the city council, and I was part of that team, and members of the school board. And we researched and we you know, made decisions about those properties, and then we put them up for sale. And they serve, one of them has been turned completely into affordable housing. Um, another has some housing on the top floor, but has some businesses on the bottom floor. Um, another one has a charter school in it, but also has a dentist's office and, you know, a few other um, uh, commercial components to it. So my point was that was like, that was day number one of what exactly are we doing here? Don't local communities actually know best uh, what they, you know, how they should be managing? Uh, so that, that I just wanted to set up the context of this, that hmm. it was like the very first Senate education hearing um, that we had. And that was like one of the first bills. And I was like, oh boy, now I'm on the other <laughs> side and I understand what happens that is pressuring the locals so much. So um, you talked about 1679, which has to do with, you know, dissolving school districts, you know, in in essence, correct? Yeah. I I think that there's a national influence here, like all of the different, it's a multi-pronged attack on public education, right down to the people that are actually making decisions about how their local schools will operate. So that's one of them. Uh, But there was a bill that's already passed the Senate um, and is moving to the House, and it's a revisiting of, and this was uh, Senate Bill 307, it's, a, it's another multi-pronged attack on local control and schools. And so it says, uh, you as a, um, you can't, as a local government, you cannot prohibit an adult. Now, students can't bring weapons to school. So that's not just guns, that could be a knife. Uh, but there are adults that enter the premises um, that are, you know, say coming to meetings with children's parents, or they are attending, um, you know, they're attending, you know, meetings at the school, say, you know, public meetings, the local community should have the ability to say, not on our property, like, not welcome here. Um, and that didn't happen. Um, and this, although some tried to argue um, the Second Amendment perspective of this, which, you know, again, this was not just about, you know, about weapons, you know, this was about, I mean, this just wasn't about, you know, firearms. This was about any type of weapon. I saw it as more of an attack on the, the ability for the, for a school board or any municipality to control their own property that is under their care, what they know the best and they know their community. That was one of the first moves this year, um, highly contentious. And I don't know if you remember this, Steve, but maybe two sessions ago, when this first came up, Lebanon was one of the communities was actually targeted in the initial piece of legislation related to this, because they had said, we had said, look, not on our property. And so we were targeted and threatened with fines if we did that again. So now this has actually made its next move. So some argue this is about firearms. I argue this is more about not letting local officials make the kinds of decisions that they, they need to make. Uh, so there's, you know, there's just one example. Recently, uh, we 
Well, I actually, I will talk about a bill that we passed, and then I'm going to talk about a bill that's upcoming because it, it underscores, again, the inability of the legislature, the state legislature, to really let local officials do their job. So you, I think, had mentioned this earlier, which is um, HB 1272 and limiting the power of uh, local public health officials. Mm. So this is basically saying, like, if it has to do with a nuisance, you can intervene and you have a certain time frame, but anything else you can't. So what is that about? What is that about really? Is that about masks? Is that about if there is a particular public health threat that pops up in that area, that those that, again, know their community the best can intercede and make it use the local public health officials to make a decision and, you know, for that's best for their community? I'd argue that it's, it's, it's both, but mostly we're not smart enough at the local level or, you know, to, you know, to make these kinds of decisions. We are relegated to certain decisions like whether we should have Keno on the ballot or not, you know, like, right. is that, is that the equivalent of some of the more serious issues that we're seeing today? And that's old business, but that's just been my experience. It seems like some of the strongest proponents of these bills that you're talking about that really would eliminate local control and suggest that folks at the local level simply don't have the ability to make the right decision are also some of the people that campaign and in some other issues make the centerpiece of their identity local control small government people make individual decisions and yet when it comes to these bills the same people are saying local government incapable of making these decisions what about that inconsistency it seems like it's everywhere there it is inconsistent and i think it's a misunderstanding about what local control really is and that's what it comes down to i saw a pub, a member of the legislature remember the house last week about this public health bill, because as you know, I have a great interest in what's happening with public health in the state based on my background, you know, working at the Department of Safety, paramedic, doing public health emergency preparedness planning. So I'm really trying to tune into these conversations. And there is a member of the legislature of the House that said local officials just simply aren't capable of making these decisions. Just threw me back in my chair, like where I don't even think it's where is this coming from, but why are we speaking this way? If we do, if we are holding out local control and smaller government and in front of us in every conversation we have. But when we're sitting in, in our legislative seats, we you know, it's it's contradictory. The um, the types of bills that are written and the types of bills that are passed. I think it's a misunderstanding about exactly what you're doing. It's one thing to say, love my local community, small town here. You know, we're going to minimize government, uh, but that's minimized. You know, we're going to make it smaller. Government is good for all. But really what they're saying is that smaller government is good for all. And when you're on the local level, you are the smallest of it. And we are going to make it the hardest for you to do your job by mm. stripping you of the ability to make key decisions for your constituency. And there is a little, if I may, uh, you know, kind of sort of picking and choosing about, hmm, if this we don't want to deal with this at the state level, then we'll let the locals deal with it. Now, I haven't seen that yet so much this session, but I have seen it in previous sessions. Uh, or do we, you know, so you can't have it both ways. You're either going to allow enabling legislation um, to go forth and put the appropriate guardrails in place and give folks the ability to who know their communities to do their job, um, or you're going to do it not at all. Just go across the line.
So right now, um, there is a $5 fee that, um, and this is enable, this was enabling legislation years ago, and we're back to it again, $5 fee that's added on to motor vehicle registrations at the local level that can be put into like, a, can put into a transportation fund. So this can deal with potholes and roads. It could pay for a regional bus. Um, so it helped pay down the cost so that folks could ride that bus at little or no cost, take vehicles off the road, which are pounding on the infrastructure, contribute um, to, you know, a, a, you know, lessening the impact on the environment, all of that. It's something that we've done in Lebanon before. And we had this bill in front of us where we, the, the ask was enabling legislation to add another $5 on to allow for these communities to, you know, put more money away into their local pothole fund or in Lebanon, you know, we may have used it for our, you know, for our bus and our regional transportation system, advanced transit. And that went down in flames over, over $5. So let me say this. I understand the stress at the gas pump these days. I pay for gas too. I understand what inflation, you know, the pressures that it puts on our families, especially our working families. So I, I'm not saying that $5 isn't important, but this really all hinged on a conversation about whether communities could make that decision or not. We weren't saying we were going to put $5 in across the board. We were going to allow communities to do that if they thought they needed to, which in many cases would save, you know, local residents money. Let's say if they were, you know, so where we're at, you know, my part of the upper Valley, we pay out of our municipal budgets for this regional transportation system so that it's no cost to anybody but the taxpayer, whether they ride the bus or not. What if we were able to use, if Lebanon or other communities decided to do that, and we were able to take that $5 and add it into the fund that pays for the bus, it would actually you know, be a relief in a way for those that are paying their property taxes. But this, some made an argument about the $5, but clearly to me, Steve, this was just an argument about whether local communities could make that decision. Republicans wanted to make it about inflation. I wanted to make it about whether local governments should be able to do this or not. It is such a counter argument. I, the, 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 the argument that you just suggested would be, in theory, intellectually consistent with the argument of the folks that now suddenly are making a counter argument. And you're right. It seems like an awful lot of picking and choosing on the seacoast. We've seen this, for example, of uh, in lieu of trying to redistribute the rooms and meals formula to more directly put the dollars back where they're raised, uh, like a place like Portsmouth, for example, instead of doing that, we've talked about uh, uh, enabling legislation to have a bed tax for hotels that might say, if the town wants, as you say, not a requirement enabling, you could put a $1 a night, bed tax for the local government to use to pay for the additional infrastructure services that come when you have uh, additional hotels that generate all this rooms and meals tax for the state. Uh, That also gets shot down every time for using the exact same arguments that you're talking about. And it is so frustrating because all it does is empower local governments to have a choice not to be mandated to do something, uh, but this is, it seems so inconsistent with other policies and it's certainly very frustrating at the local level. Completely. And Steve, the bill you just, or or the issue you just touched on, I sponsored a bill this year um, to do that again. So this was a $2 occupancy fee per night 
for a hotel stay that would go into, if a, again, enabling, enabling legislation, if a community chose to do it, $2 a night that they could put into a fund for public safety or for infrastructure. Your mayor in Portsmouth, the current mayor in Portsmouth, he came and testified with me. Yep. And although Portsmouth and Lebanon have a different idea, say, about you know, how I, I think the tourist perspective and the amount of hotel rooms you have in Portsmouth, I know as many more than we have in Lebanon, but what we both are are regional hubs that feel the impact of everybody that comes to work there, play there and stay there. And come, these folks are completely welcome. I don't want to turn that back in time, but I've traveled the country um, and stayed in hotels, especially in capital cities, where there's been a fee that's much higher than that, that's used for for recreation, for rails to trails. They, there's This happens all over the country. Why can't we do that here? It did pass the House, I believe it wasn't last year, but the year before, um, Representative Susan Almy from Lebanon was able to really work to get this through the House, and it was unfortunately shot, you know, it was shot down or killed in the Senate. Mm. So I worked on the Senate version, brought that back, reached out, we got mayors to reach out, and your mayor actually came up and testified. Again, whether we need to do this or not would be our responsibility. And it would be property tax relief for those local governments. And we weren't allowed to make that decision. I am happy to say, though, that this language that we saw, you know, the that was the only, you know, it was ITL'd, um, it was was able to get this uh, working with Senator Erin Hennessy into another bill uh, where she has a study bill on its municipal occupancy tax. And this is a fee, but it's going to be studied as part of this. So it keeps the conversation alive, which is good. But getting back to the, you know, the overall premise, yeah, we should be allowed to decide what we want to do with this. I can only remember in my time as a, a city councilor uh, being asked by the state to make a decision. And that came, you know, came and the, you know, came in uh, the fashion of Kino, whether we put this on the ballot or not. Yes. I'm like, okay, we're again, we can talk about that because the state didn't want to make that decision, <laughs> but we can't talk about, you know, whether we can bring some real property tax relief by way of having a fee that, you know, helps offset some of the costs related again to the impacts on our communities when we have, you know, large transient population shifts. Just saying. <laughs> so another bill that's gotten a lot of attention this year would be the bill that would ban the banning of short-term rentals, including Airbnb, but a lot of other similar type of services. Can you talk a little bit about how banning the ban is yet another example of usurping of local control. So Senate Bill 249 was the short-term rental uh, bill that said that communities could not prohibit, they could not put a ban in place on, um, well, you know, zoning in particular, zoning boards, uh, but really just, let's just look at it comprehensive local government. They had no say in this. This was going to be up to, you know, the state legislature to put this this uh, prohibition in place so that the, it could be regulated from the state level and it didn't allow or reg, if not really not regulated, in my opinion, but a lot wouldn't allow the state, the communities who, again, you know, whether they're a, a 
a community that has a lake uh, and, and a lot of tourists to be able to shape that type of um, shape that, you know, what the rules and regulations would be around this to say a college community who sees, you know, a lot of short-term rentals around the times of, you know, big football games and graduations and what that, again, the, you know, the different concerns around noise and other impacts. It was, it was about this entire conversation. Now I, um, I actually initially, I'm sad to report that in the initial days, I did sign on as a co-sponsor of this bill. And one of the reasons that I did it, now I voted against it, was that I was trying to help shape the conversation. Sometimes you get into it to try to make it a little bit better. Uh, And I had strong pushback from communities in my district that felt that I had abandoned them. And then I explained my position. I have to tell you that I heard from so many people who wanted the ability to, they, they were, I heard from more people who actually wanted to pass this bill, uh, more like real estate agents Mm. and people who have rental properties who didn't want local government in control of it. How, then, but you know, then I heard from municipal governments. But at the end of the day, the municipal governments in my district, and looking back on the days when I actually sat on a planning board, I never sat on the zoning board, but was a part of making you know some of the bigger term zoning decisions. Uh, what I knew is that we were the ones who were best positioned to say what those rules and regulations should be for short term short term rentals within our communities. Like there are, you know, I look at downtown Lebanon, we have an ordinance in place that says after 10 o'clock at night, you can't have an event on the Lebanon green because all the homes in that area that have working folks and have children that need to go to schools, if they're go to school the next day, if there is an event on the green and the volume is up on, you know, say the music, then it becomes a, a complaint, a noise concern for the families in that area. How do we know that? Because we live there and we hear from the people who live near the green and in those local neighborhoods that say, this is bad for us and this is why. That's the real discussion. What's good for the locals? What's bad for the locals? And how do we let the officials who are faced with these decisions about how to manage short-term rentals actually do their job? So I was initially, I had to stay on it because I co-sponsored it. I got engaged in the in the conversation about this to try to make it better. And when I couldn't see it go my way, I made a pledge to the municipalities that I represent that I would vote against this. And even though it was a voice vote, I was loud and clear on the floor and there were three of us in the Senate um, that voted against this. I think what you're saying is that these are not cookie cutter issues. You really have to get down to the local level to really see how to, how the citizens really think about these things and what they really want in their own community. Terry, that's exactly it. So you have cities and towns are different where they are located, whether they're in the mountains or they're a lakeside community, where if they have a hospital, uh, you know, and a lot of transient business in them versus, you know, a, you know, smaller town, uh, you know, kind of village feel. Right. 235 communities in New Hampshire have 235 different, say, you know, basically the character of the neighborhoods in those 235 communities it is what should determine how a short-term rental, how, um, you know, roads and infrastructure should be, you know, should be paid for, um, how their schools and school districts should operate, whether people can make 
public comment at school at school board meetings. It isn't cookie cutter. Every community is different. So you can't all apply all laws with a broad brush stroke. And that's the attempt of something like Senate Bill 249. Are you identifying, Suzanne, a common out-of-state actor or local, what we call a villain, who's uh, forcing or um, supporting all of these kinds of things? Is there any commonality in this? Well, the commonality, and I know it sounds super partisan, is that most of these bills, um, if not all of them, are coming, you know, are sponsored by, um, you know, Republican legislators. So there is a, um, like, an, an, you know, a, an ideology or a, a theme across the board. Uh, and I think there's that. And it also ties into, uh, I would say, you know, like the, you know, the free state type of movement where, you know, there, you know, it's, if we roll back, um, either we don't let the locals do their jobs or we roll back their abilities at the state level and try to minimize any type of um, any type of controls, then we are moving more and more towards a place where there are no rules, there are no regulations, and you can do whatever you want to do. Uh, so that's to me, it is it does become a little partisan here. It becomes a lot partisan here, um, and I do think that it is a a free state movement or part of that behind this kind of thinking. And that also sounds like the bill that stopped the New Hampshire Municipal Association from testifying on bills. It seems to me that organization has a very important role in representing small towns or uh, the issues of this, of citizens like you and me um, before the legislature. And wasn't there a bill that, or is that still ongoing, House Bill 1268 maybe? We're just starting to hear some of the House bills, uh-huh. unless it's so I'm I know that it's out there. I don't know where it stands right now. And it would most likely go into um, election law, municipal affairs uh, if it you know, if it makes it over into the Senate. But there, so you're using a, the ration. They're using a rationale to try to silence municipal officials at all levels. And so this is an association that represents municipal officials that comes before, you know, obviously we know the legislature to speak on their behalf. Uh, If we're going to silence them, then I think we could make a connection to try to silence other organizations that stand up and speak on behalf of organizations um, that have public, you know, that have a public background to um, why they are there. I mean, there are, there's the New Hampshire, I'm not suggesting this, I'm just saying, there's the New Hampshire School Board Association. There's a Superintendents Association. There's an Athletic Association. These all have ties. This is just another attempt to silence local officials by taking the multiple organizations, not just the New Hampshire Municipal Association, but other school board associations, superintendents associations, athletic associations, and putting them in a place where because they have a tie to the public that they don't have a stake at representing them at the legislature. And I would, you know, I actually spend a lot of time hearing from those folks, not just because of my background, but because of the two committees that I sit on, executive departments, administration, and Senate education. And they have, there's a purpose to bring that common voice before us. So this is just silencing everybody everywhere we can. You say you're for freedom of speech, but here 
in this, you know, in this venue um, with these groups joined together, you say that that's not okay. What are you for? It sounds like they only want to hear themselves talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just limit the voices that aren't, you know, that aren't, aren't of interest to you or conflict with the agenda that you're trying to move forward. And I got to tell you, this is just a couple days ago. Uh, I got a call and I, uh, a polling firm that did a 15 minute poll, which I know from experience are very expensive polls to conduct done clearly to advocate for the ban on the ban of short-term rentals. I took the poll. I answered all the questions. I asked them at the end who they were. And if this was part of a public poll, uh, say like UNH or some kind of nonpartisan group to simply, um, learn things and, and share information. And they told me it was not. It was for an interest group that was advocating for the banning of the ban of short-term rentals. And of course, there are some very deep pockets uh, for some of the larger chains that would be advantaged by such a ban of bans. Um, And so when you, on one hand, try to take away the ability of somebody like the New Hampshire Municipal Association, which is a collection, a way for a lot of small communities to have their voice heard in Concord. But on the other hand, you see... Significant amounts of money, I can tell you, for a poll like that, that is part of a larger effort to try to get this legislation passed. It's an asymmetric form of warfare um, that unfortunately, you know, we have a lot of episodes that talk about outside forces, outside money. And I, I do fear that on some of these bills, the fingerprints of said outside money uh, is all over some of this stuff. Specifically with something like this, with the uh, high end polling firm doing this kind of work. Here's the thing. It's not going to be paid for by the uh, retired couple that has a spare bedroom in the back that's hoping that maybe they can Airbnb it once in a while. I don't think that in most communities that's really the primary issue. The real threat, and it's where the money is available to do this kind of political work, is with large chains. For example, Marriott, a global uh, hospitality chain, has gone both feet in on purchasing uh, large amounts of real estate, including single family homes, multifamily homes, to be able to rent them out in an Airbnb type fashion, but within their company. It's it's highly profitable and uh, it can provide a near monopoly for them in certain desirable downtown, certain communities. So the, the stakes are high for them and they're willing to spend that kind of money. So again, this asymmetric warfare that we're seeing on these key pieces of legislation Uh, There's just too many fingerprints, too much smoke for there not to be some out-of-state fire going on. Steve, I I completely agree with you. And I think that the other side of this is, you know, there's this big corporation lineup. But at the same time, there are there are residents of communities that don't want to be told how to what to do with their property, Mm. including a short term rental. So, you know, when you can't get what you want locally and you're going to find a group, um, you know, you're going to find either a legislator or a group that you can affiliate with who is attacking these kinds of, you know, do we want to call, I don't know if we want to call it values, but ways of living and governing in the state and attack them there. That's not uncommon. So you have the bigger influence, surely, but there I heard from a lot of folks on this band of the band that were, again, it was mostly municipalities, but there were a lot of people who didn't like the way that local government governed on this. So they went around it. Mm. And then there was just the group of, and the mostly, God bless them, real estate agents who just 
want, he saw this as an opportunity to do whatever they wanted to do. And maybe those folks are working with some of the larger corporations that you mentioned. So it has this multi-pronged look to it, uh, but it's not just one way. All right. Well, we could talk about this all day. There are even more bills that we haven't gotten to today that are really about the same topic, but I think we'll have to leave it here. And uh, Sue Prentice, state senator representing the Upper Valley and environs around it. Thanks so much for being in the state Senate. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's uh, my honor and pleasure. I look forward to, you know, carrying on on behalf of, you know, local governments and bringing that voice every day to the table. Thanks, Suzanne. Thanks for coming on and thanks for making us smarter. All right, Steve. So I guess the upshot is New Hampshire has always been a state where the town meeting, the local school board, local elections have been a focal point for strong communities. That's been the brand of New Hampshire as long as I've been here. And there do seem to be a number of villains that were identified in this episode attacking those values, undermining them. I mean, there's the the one-tenth of one percent pushing for profits, including global hotel chains and many others. Uh, There are kind of naive libertarians that are seeking a lawless utopia that really would create a lawless dystopia. That's right. And then, of course, our our usual suspects, uh, Governor Sununu and a lot of Republicans, including free state Republicans, who are being enabled to remove local control and undermine the the values you just described a moment ago. I guess where we're heading here is that we need to get together. We need to get together and unify and vote, put people in place that represent our values, who truly support our strong communities and local control and the voices of citizens. And I think, I hope an episode like this too really helps listeners when they see these kind of campaigns occurring, uh, that they can see them for what they are, that they can call them out and that they can reach out to their local legislator or in this case, local elected official, right? Their mayor, their counselor, alderman, and call it out uh, before it becomes law and not after. It's so much easier before the fact to do something about it. This has been Granite State Matters episode answering the question, can towns and schools survive state takeover? Our next episode will be a conversation on rising young New Hampshire leaders. And you can follow our bi-weekly podcast at your favorite podcast provider. And please do share with friends and neighbors because extremists are taking over the state house. And what you don't know can hurt you. <laughs>